The following was recorded in front of a live studio audience at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. This is the United Podcast Network. The following program is closed captioned for the thinking impaired. By tomorrow, I will rule the world! You think he's gone? He's not gone! That's the whole point! He's never gone! Is this some radical new therapy? You see? Well, I mustn't have been paying attention When you were just talking to me I kind of miss Paul singing this. I know, right? And his cute little bah, 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 like he does that. He adds yeah. the punctuation while he's singing. Yeah, no Maddie today. Hey, how you guys doing? How's everything going? You're listening on your in your car. You're listening on your iPod, your iPad, your... Some sort of iDevice. Some sort of iDevice. I is taking over the world, apparently. It's like Hal, right? Uh, I'm Tom Duggan. Thanks for listening to the Paying Attention Podcast. No Maddie doing uh, news today. She is preparing for her big gig at Gillette Stadium. And uh, no Paul today. I should have brought Paul in. Um, I told him he could take the week off. He always seems like he's got one foot out the door. He denies that, but it really does seem that way sometimes. He's always like, well, you didn't need me today because you talked all about local stuff. And So um, we have a guest coming in. We have the Lawrence Police Chief, Roy Vasque, is going to be joining us. And uh, we're going to be talking about... Um, the, uh, most, the two most recent murders that have happened in Lawrence. We'll talk about the dwindling crime in Lawrence. We'll talk about some of the outside agencies in Lawrence right now, some of the deportations that are happening. We won't tell him that, though, until he's, like, really comfortable and happy here. Um, then we'll I like st- how you play. Yeah. I like we'll, how you, you know, play. We'll, we'll get him all comfortable, and then we'll start throwing those questions at him. We'll see how he does. Um, before we do, though, we've got a, uh, got a bunch of things that I want to talk about. Um, you know, it would be great to have Paul here. Uh, for some of these discussions, because he, he like he's Mr. Devil's Advocate, he never actually says anything. He just likes to ask ask lots of questions. You ever notice that about Paul? Almost in a passive aggressive way. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so we have a couple things. The big news this week. You would think, you would think that there were no police officers killed in America in the last forty eight hours. You would think that we didn't have any kind of conflict around the world in Israel or Pakistan or anywhere else. You would think that there are no missing children in the United States anywhere in the last 48 hours because CNN, MSNBC, and the rest of the media, with the exception of Fox, has spent 24-7 coverage on the most important issue of our generation. It's the most important issue that's going to affect everyone's lives, and that's Roseanne Barr having her show canceled. Right. <laughs> right? I flipped on CNN, and they're talking about Roseanne Barr, then breaking news. I'm going, oh, good. They're going to go back to real news, right? No, the breaking news was uh, ABC canceled their show. I'm like, okay, good. Well, now that we know that they canceled their show, there's no more controversy. Now they'll go back to talking about, like, maybe missing kids or conflict in the Middle East. Something important. Yeah, something, well, not really quite as important as Roseanne, right? Like, you know, the whole Israeli thing, uh, world peace, North Korea, that's not quite as important as Roseanne. But I figured that maybe they'd get back to some of that. Instead, for the last 48 hours, there has not been one other story covered on CNN. I've watched it incessantly in my office throwing things at the TV. They have talked about Roseanne. So let's talk about Roseanne because we know that is clearly the most important thing going on in the country to everyone's lives. Very important. I know people that called in sick today because they were so upset 
about Roseanne having her show canceled or other people that called in sick because Roseanne said naughty words. I'm, uh, they were just so beside themselves. I'm confused when they decided to do the reboot. Did they not know they were hiring <laughs> Roseanne Barr? It's like hiring it's like hiring Howard Stern and then being really upset that he's talking about lesbians. Right? Craziness. Right? So but here's the thing, it's not all right, so let's go back to what she said. So she made a comment on Twitter. Um, I happen to think it's a very racist comment. You, you don't, so we can discuss that. Um, and what she said was that if the Planet of the Apes and the Muslims had a child, it would be Valerie Jarrett, who is a former Obama administration hack. And the media, of course, if anything that has to do with race, anything that has to do with race, it becomes the most important thing of our generation. So CNN, MSNBC, ABC, NBC, all of them with the exception of Fox, and Fox even did a little bit on it too, um, just incessantly talked about how it's, how it's racism. And by the way, all Donald Trump's fault. That's my favorite part. I just don't understand how it is racist. Well, when you're comparing someone of African-American heritage to apes, um, I can see how people... I can see how people could take it that take way. Take it that way. Now, she may not have meant it that way, but it really was kind of a... I think it was a racist comment. I think it rides the line, and yeah. I think you get... Again, you know what you're getting with Roseanne Barr. Right, right. So it was not a shock to me to read that that's what she wrote. Right. I don't think that it was good judgment on her part. Yeah. I don't know that it's a... I don't know that she has good judgment. She certainly doesn't, but no. I don't know that she deserve to be fired. I don't think that 200 people deserve to lose their jobs over hold, hold it. Hold on, we have to stop the show. I'm getting my coffee from Sean the Barista. Sean the Barista! Thank you, brother. <laughs> this is the dark roast, right? Oh, yeah, the best. Not we're, that it we're, matters. We're you put cream it. and sugar in it. Milk. I can't eat cream. Oh, really? Milk and, milk and sugar. Oh, my God, that's the best coffee ever. Why don't you just ever. eat ice cream? That's the best coffee ever. I can't eat ice cream. I have like a whole dairy thing I can't have, but I can have whole milk. That's the one thing I can't have. So back to Roseanne. Um, so they hired Roseanne. They rebooted this show. Roseanne's a big Trump supporter. So therefore, anyone who's a Trump supporter who says something bad or does something bad, this is the lesson we're learning from CNN today. Sure. It's, it's obviously because Donald Trump is a racist. If Donald Trump is a Nazi and he's a racist, and therefore anyone who likes him who says bad things, it's his fault. And we, we saw, and the, the, the best part about watching CNN is when the anger subsides about the, uh, uh, when, you're, when I'm watching CNN, I get angry first. Because I'm, I, when I first put it on, I still, for some reason, even though I should know better, think that they're going to commit at least some act of journalism today. Like at some point, they're going to tell us something that's actually news. Because it's in the name of the friggin' network. It's cable news network. So it's like, okay, so they're going to talk about Trump's a Nazi and it's going to be all politics and it's going to be all what the, what the Democrat Party wants them to say every day. They get their talking points from the DNC and they just do that and pretend it's news. I get that. But at least at some point during the day, like a kid's going to get shot, they're going to come on and go breaking news, a kid got shot. They didn't do any of that the last 48 hours, nothing. Right. It was all Roseanne is evil, she's an anti-Semite, uh, she once dressed in a Hitler costume. Now here's the thing. There's like a whole, different, a whole bunch of things we can talk about on this, uh, Jonathan. And by the way, the voice you're hearing is the voice of God, Mr. Jonathan, my producer. Uh, one, we can talk about the racist aspect of it. We can talk about how ABC knew what they were getting into. Um, but we can also get into, you know, I'm not going to defend Roseanne Barr. I hate Roseanne Barr. I've always hated Roseanne Barr. But I don't think, having said that, 
that anyone should lose their job because of something that they said. And what's interesting about all of this is just 72 hours ago, before 48 hours ago. Oh, say you're going to say the NFL. I am going to say the NFL. NFL. So 72 hours ago, CNN was obsessed on what at that point was the most important topic in our generation, which was it's a violation of NFL players' First Amendment rights to make them stand for the flag. And it was a full 48 hours of CNN talking about how their, how their constitutional rights were being violated because they should never be punished for what they say or do because that's the First Amendment. And then the following day Roseanne happens and suddenly like they changed their, their whole philosophy is completely changed now. Now suddenly it's not, geez, we're going to stand by Roseanne because even though what she said was horrible, she has the free speech right to say it. No, now suddenly they're taking the Republican position. Suddenly they're saying, oh, no, no, wait a minute now. She doesn't have a right. To, she, has, she can still say it, but she doesn't have a right to have a show on ABC, which, by the way, was the argument about the NFL players. They have the right to not stand for the flag, but they don't have a right to work for the NFL. And so when you're watching MSNBC, when you're watching CNN, when you're watching all of these propaganda networks, Everything that they say is a fucking lie. Everything that they say is a lie. My issue, All of it. My issue is that the NFL players are on payroll during the time that the NFL is asking them to exercise decorum mm-hmm. during the opening ceremonies. Right. They don't have to actually be out there. They have the option of being in the locker right. room. But if they're on the field, they are representing the NFL on payroll during work. This is how you have to act just like... My employees have to act a certain way while right. they're here at Two Guys Smoke Shop, right. period. Roseanne was not on the set when she tweeted it. Right. She I was agree. on her own time. It's yeah. her own Twitter. Right. But ABC still has the right to fire her. I don't think they should have fired her, but they have the right to fire her. Of course they her. have the right to fire her, and, and I have the right to never watch any ABC show ever again right. as long as I live, which I've, is where I'm going. I've been, I've been boycotting ABC for a long, for a long time anyway, so <laughs> I wasn't even watching Roseanne. But it's very interesting when you watch the dynamic of like, the, it, CNN is so shameless that, like, they actually pretend what they said yesterday never happened. Right. Like, they pretend that, like, we didn't take the exact opposite side of this view 24 hours ago now that we're talking about Roseanne. And by the way, has anyone seen my friend Jeffrey Lord on CNN lately? Remember Jeffrey Lord? He was a CNN contributor on Don Lemon's show. He tweeted out at a liberal who made some kind of a comment about why we should take somebody's free speech rights away and, um, and said, uh, Heil Hitler over Twitter to the other person, basically saying, you're a fascist. CNN fired him for that. So CNN can fire him for that, and they did. He's been off CNN now for at least a month. And he's a good friend of the show, by the way. He's a good friend of the Valley Patriot. Jeffrey Lord's a great guy. Um, but he's gone. He's not on CNN anymore. Nobody, you, can't, you can't find Jeffrey Lord anywhere, right? But CNN had no problem taking away his, what they call First Amendment right, but then when it's the NFL players, well, no, that's terrible. That's against the First Amendment. But then when it's Roseanne, no, we're going to change our mind again. And so I'm bringing this up because I want you guys to understand who don't watch the news all the time that when you frequently or infrequently put on the news because something catches your eye, there's a shooting or something, and maybe you're just flipping through channels, you've just got to remember that every single thing they're telling you is a lie. Everything. Like, I watch CNN looking for something that's right. Like, I watch every day going, okay, at some point they're going to say something that's true. And they don't. And even when they come out with like a breaking news story about a shooting or a breaking news story about something else, it's always with this twisted political end that it's all Donald Trump's fault. Like there's a, there's a, a mall shooting in Illinois, and if Donald Trump had only taken away our guns, it wouldn't be happening. 
No matter what it is, Mr. Jonathan. <laughs> I'm with you there. So anyways, dripping um, I think tanzanian coffee all over my computer. Couldn't it be said that it is a racist behavior on CNN's part because they are taking the side of the NFL players who they believe to be black. Right. And the reason that it's an issue is because we are taking away the black voice in the NFL. Yes. Their sentiment, not mine. And Roseanne is white. Yep. And she said something that could be construed as racist. I get that it can be. I didn't take it that way, but I see how someone could take it that way. Isn't it racism on their part that they are treating black people differently than white people, yeah. which would be the definition of racism? CNN is one of the most racist networks on television, if not the, well, MSNBC is probably a little worse. But the, the constant race baiting and attacking people on CNN based on the color of their skin, usually white people, right? And you listen to Don Lemon every night and they're talking about white privilege and they label and stereotype white people as if we're all one thing. And that we all benefited from some kind of systematic oppression of the last 400 years. And I thought it's really amazing that they came out and said that, you know, judging people based on the color of their skin is wrong because that's never been their position. Their position has always been that it's okay to be racist against white people, to discriminate against Catholics and Christians, but not okay to attack black people or to attack Muslims. If you attack a Muslim, that's terrible. But Christians are destroying the country, all of them, every single one. So I watch and I watch and I wait, and eventually they'll have a panel discussion with nine people. Eight of them are left-wing lunatics. One is like a moderate conservative, and they spend their whole time talking over him so that everything that he says, you can't hear what he's saying. And half the time he's a booger-eating moron who's right. literally drooling on his shirt. Right, yeah. They don't pick the brightest bulbs. Right. To portray the uh, the right side, and Jeffrey Lord was you know he was okay on that show. He was okay on Don Lemon. He was okay on, on Anderson Cooper, um, but but he wasn't really a, he wasn't really a shark either. He wasn't out there really pounding his fist and throwing it right back at them. I would love to run into Don Lemon someday. I I would love to run into Anderson Cooper someday. I would just love it because these guys are actors. They're not news people, but they pretend to be news people, but they're not, and they're as racist as racist can be, but. They pretend that they're against racism. And that's, that's the new Orwellian America that we're living now, where if you yourself are engaging in racism, it's always important to label what you're doing as anti-racist. Right. And just imagine if I came on here and talked about black privilege in America today. What if I came in here and I talked about all the racial set-asides in colleges, all the racial set-asides, and the liberals can have all their excuses for why that is, but they can't dispute the fact that it's racist. They can't dispute the fact that they're treating people differently based on their race. And Tucker Carlson had a guy on last night. I can't remember his name, but he's an Obama hack. He asked him five times, is it always wrong to judge people based on their race? Is it always wrong to treat people differently based on their race? And the guy couldn't answer the question. Eventually, at the end, he said, well, yes, but. Well, listen, there's no but. It's either always wrong or it's not. Right. Like, if it's always wrong, then it's always wrong. And we know that there's always an exception to the rule. But if it's always wrong, it's always wrong. And if it's not always wrong, then tell us when it's not wrong. He couldn't do that. No liberal can do that. No Democrat can do that. Because they believe in racism. They just don't believe in racism against people who vote Democrat. They don't believe in racism against black people. They don't believe in racism against Latinos. But I'll say it again. If Latinos in droves started voting Republican, Elizabeth Warren would be out there building the wall herself and setting up concentration camps for people to be deported. And we all know that's true. Even people who support her know that that's true. 
because the fact is that might be the best thing that you've ever said. It's but it, because it's true, right? It is true. It's but, funny because it's true. So it's so when we hear these concepts, I guess MSNBC had a panel discussion yesterday or the day before uh, on racism, and all it was was black racists who hate white people talking about how horrible white people are. And I keep shaking my head going, like, how does anyone with common sense follow this? We have a riot going on downstairs? That's a good question. What's going on down there? Oh, you know what? There's uh, graduations happening. So, uh, oh, they're all coming in for their cigars? They're coming in for yeah, their cigars. Right. Very good. We should have them come up on the show. <laughs> so I told the Tomaselli sisters, if you can be here at 2, I'll give you 10 minutes. And I got a text message that said, see you at 2.15. So I said, too late. So what time did they walk in? What time is it? 2.15. 2. Yeah. It's too late. It's too late. So we've got, um, we've got this Roseanne Barr thing going on. I, I, I'm okay with ABC firing her. They've got a right to fire her. They shouldn't have, especially when you look at people like, who's that, who's that blonde slut that's on the E! Network? Um, Samantha, Samantha B? I've seen her show exactly once, and it was the most vile, overly sexual, racist thing that I've ever seen in my life. She thinks she's being edgy, but if you have the same opinion as everybody in Hollywood, it's not really all that edgy, right? Sure. Everybody agrees with you. Um, she has said some horrible things. She has called Donald Trump a Nazi, right? Outright came out and called him a Nazi. Um, intimated one day that, that Donald Trump, you know, he might even be a child molester. You never know, right? And yet, she's never been fired. She didn't get fired for what she said. Nor, I don't, again, nor should she be. Sure. However... It would, it would be wrong for us to not point out that there's a total hypocrisy going on here. And we know that this is hypocrisy. What kills me is that the Roseanne Barr show was starting to go down the road of bringing together lots of different cultures. You had transgender kid on the show. Uh, you had uh, the, the black granddaughter, uh, the formerly lesbian sister who may or may not be a lesbian anymore. You couldn't tell by the way that things were going. I thought you were born lesbian. You may be, but this is an actor playing right, a lesbian. Right, right. So I, I thought early on in the first few seasons she was a lesbian and it was edgy back then. And so they have all these cultures coming together and really could have done something to bring the country together. Right. But It was the new Archie Bunker where, where it was okay to talk about things that it's not okay to talk about anywhere else and give people a, a look at why other people who disagree with you feel the way that they feel. I thought, right. I thought the concept of the show was great. I hate Roseanne, so I just didn't watch it. But the real reason why it's 48 hours of fuck Roseanne on CNN and everywhere else is because Roseanne loves Donald Trump. If Roseanne loved Barack Obama, she'd still have her job today. She, she would, would come out and say, I'm really sorry, but I love Obama. And they go, oh, okay. So what's the next show going to be about? Right? And then we, we would all be moving on. We'd be talking about, you know, we'd be back to talking about the NFL players. The uh, company that produces Ambien did send out a tweet saying <laughs> that uh, come on that um, racism is not a known side effect of Ambien. Yeah, so they yeah. did they did cover their bases. Listen, I, I don't know what the real story is, and none of you do either. It's very possible, very possible. I've taken Ambien. I've taken a lot of other things too. It's very possible that she was in some kind of a stupor when she when she tweeted that. Now. Admitting that you were in a stupor when you did it makes it actually, I think, worse. So she should have kept it to herself. Well, you got to do what everybody else does and just say, my account was hacked. I'm so sorry. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you just destroy the account and you start over from scratch. Like that idiot on MSNBC who who tweeted all those anti-gay things. And now she's saying, oh, no, my account was hacked when we know it wasn't hacked. 
because she said like a million things like that before. But you know, why can't we just be honest? She should have just come out and said, you know what? That's how I really feel. And if you don't like it, go fuck yourself. Like, had she done that, I think she would, she would still have her fan base. And there would be some other network that would pick her up. And they would continue with the Roseanne show. But once you start acquiescing, once you give in a little bit. Yeah, you can't yield. Then that's it. Then you've lost people on both sides and you're done. And quite frankly, I'm not a fan of Roseanne. I think she's an idiot. When she disgraced our, um, our national anthem at a baseball game and grabbed her crotch. I didn't like her before that. But when she did that, that was it for me. But let's make no mistake about it. She's getting attacked and she lost a show because she likes Trump. And now they have the excuse to say... See, Trump caused this. It's his caustic language and all the mean things that he says that makes other people feel like it's okay for them to do. And here's the new word. Trump is normalizing racism. He's normalizing it. He's no, but this is weird coming from the Democrat Party, which says nothing is normal. Right? right. Whenever you say, well, that's not normal. What's normal mean? Right? There is no such thing as normal. Boys can be girls. Girls can be boys. There is no normal. But somehow Trump is normalizing something. I don't, I don't get that at all. So I got one more thing real quick. Then we got the police chief is here. Thank God. We love this guy. Um, and if I didn't, boy, you know I would tell you, right? Yes, you I would. Was, I was really harsh on the last chief, maybe more harsh than I should have been. Um, I just want to run one real, real, one real quick clip for you folks. We have a woman in Lawrence. She's a first-term state representative. She's just finishing out her first two-year term. And she thinks she is so experienced that she should be the congressman for the 3rd District. She sent out a tweet yesterday. I thought all of you should hear it. Was it crickets? No, it wasn't crickets. All right. Should have been crickets. Trump's chief of staff, John Kelly, says children separated at the border will be placed in foster care or whatever. Trump's administration is incompetent and sadistic. Sadistic? We need to think long and hard about our values as a nation. Is it possible to pause that? Separating children from families? He, so, so Juana Matias, who's a very smart woman, like she's really smart, right? Donald Trump is sadistic. He's purposely trying to hurt children. That's what she's saying. He, he, he hates Latinos so much he wants to take their children and put them in a concentration camp or whatever, right? Go ahead. This is inhumane, cruel, and despicable. despicable. And now our government has lost track of over 1,500 kids when they should be in the arms of their parents. Right, but in Mexico. But now maybe in the hands of traffickers. We need to act now to protect families and stop these horrors. I'm starting today by releasing my immigration policy you gotta hear proposals this. that will protect dreamers and children, abolish ICE, Keep families together and bring back compassion to our immigration system. Oh, this is awesome. She wants to abolish ICE and she wants children back in the arms of their parents. Well, when thousands and thousands of unaccompanied minors were streaming across our border, I didn't hear her say, let's send them back to Mexico, back to the arms of their parents. Did she say that? Because I'm pretty sure she's not for that. Right? right? She only wants them back in the arms of their parents. She only gives a shit about them being in the arms of their parents if they're here in America getting welfare and voting Democrat. That's what she cares about. And by the way, I'm still endorsing her. Why are you still endorsing her? <laughs> the entire studio audience just collectively fell off their chair. Well, A, she's super hot. And no matter who wins this race, they're going to be a left-wing traitor anyway. So at least I've got something to look at while I'm doing my job, right? But the other thing is, Juana is being honest. 
the other Democrats who are running for this seat, they're not being honest. They all want to abolish ICE. They all want, every, they all want open borders. They all want to give all the free stuff they can to citizens of every other country. They want every, every single person from every other country to come here. But they won't say that. And when you confront them, when you confront Barbara Latanian, she won't say that. When you confront Dan, confront Dan Coe, he won't say that. But one is at least saying it. And I admire honesty. I'm pulling a Democrat ballot because I'm, I'm an independent now and I got to vote for Diana DiZaglio. So I'm going to pull a Democrat ballot. I might vote for, I, I'm going to vote for Juana Matias because at least she's being honest. And no, she, I, is, she is probably more attractive than all the other candidates. She's so. amazingly attractive. Yeah. I dig her. So. All right. All right, let's take a quick break. Uh, we have Chief Roy Vasquez here. We're going to talk about the uh, two murders that have happened recently. We're going to talk about the dwindling crime in Lawrence, something you never thought you'd hear me say on this show in the last 15, 20 years. Um, and we'll talk about a whole bunch of other stuff. Are you going to uh, live read the commercials, or are you going to play the... Uh, let's, play, let's, let's play the old ones, and I'll live read at the end of the show if we can. Maybe. All right. We'll be right back with paying attention. Thank you for the Thomas Always for coming, though. I appreciate that. Let's thank our sponsors. We want to thank Fred the Barber on uh, South Broadway in Lawrence. A $15 haircut. You can't beat that. Fred the Barber is sponsored by Ken DeLuca, who is a customer of Fred the Barber, who um, came to the office and said, you know, I want to help your show, and I want to help Fred the Barber, so I'm going to buy a sponsorship for Fred the Barber. That's awesome. At some point in the next couple of days, i got to go get my haircut again. So I shop with the people who do business with us. And my crew shops with the people who do business with us. So my writers, my advertisers, people who support our show, because they support us, they will do business with the people who are doing business with us. Then you get A&M Auto Body. We get our friend Angelo over there, Angelo Memolo over there. And uh, he does uh, great work on your car. So if you've got a ding in your car, somebody hits you, you got a mechanical problem, you bring it to A&M Auto. He's on South Broadway in Lawrence on Inman Street. You drop your car off, you walk down half a block to Fred the Barber, get your hair cut while you're waiting, and you go back to uh, pick up your car, and Angel will take care of you. Um, so what's the address there? 341 Three South Broadway, Lawrence, Massachusetts. Then we get Joe Zingales, Rosanna Zingales Lopez from Century 21. They have been with us from the very first edition of the Valley Patriot. They've been with us from the very first Paying Attention show, which was in 1999, back when he was Remax. He's not Remax anymore. Now he's Century 21, Team Zingales. And they sponsor our bash. They gave a $1,000 scholarship this year. They gave a $2,000 scholarship last year. And that money comes right out of their pocket. That's not like they're collecting money from other people and just using it like I do. They actually took money out of their pocket. So I don't know why these guys love me so much. I really don't. But Twin Lights, let me tell you how, how dedicated I am to helping my sponsors. The guys at Twin Lights Security needed an extra security guard. Um, security guard. I'm not really a guard, but like an extra security guy to do private investigations and to do security for a certain thing in Boston. And they posted it on my page and asked if it was okay if they could use my page to solicit hiring people. And I said, you know what? As busy as I am, these guys sponsor the show. They sponsor the Valley Patriot. They give us $1,000 for the bash. I'm going to go work for these guys. So I called up Pat McLaughlin and I said, look, you help us every single time we need something. Whenever I put out a call, you're there. If you need an extra person in your short... I'll take the night off and I'll come work for you. And so I, ha- so I have been. I've been doing some work for them because they're helping us. And so there's no reason why I shouldn't be able to find a way to help them in the meantime. So if you need security or if you're getting divorced and you need a private investigator, 
If you have a business and you need a private investigator or security, uh, you want to call Twin Lights Security. They're based out of Gloucester, but they're very local. Thank you for coming back to the Paying Attention Podcast. I cannot wait to get our numbers for this month. I know they're going to be soaring. We, I think our last count, Jonathan, was what, like 26,000? Sorry, Jonathan didn't have his mic on. Uh, I, think our, I think our last download count was like 26,000, 27,000. Yes. Is that right? Yes. So a lot of people are downloading the show. They're listening to it in their car. They're listening to it on satellite radio. We appreciate that. Um, only like five people watch us on the YouTube channel. So it's, it's a little uh, misleading, but we love the fact that everybody's downloading the audio on iHeartRadio and uh, I, iTunes and Spotify and Spreaker. And I all think it, you're things. old enough. You can say the YouTubes and get away with it if you, you want. You can do that? You can say the all YouTubes. Right, the YouTubes. All right. There very go. good. So sitting, uh, sitting up with us today is uh, a guy who I've actually known in full disclosure since like grammar school. We both went to St. Patrick's School together. I think he was one, one or two years behind me. You and Kevin Callahan's class, right? I was. I okay, was. so he was a year, year and a half a year behind me. Um, he has since um, joined the police department, worked his way up through the ranks very, very quietly. Um, I get a lot of complaints about cops and firefighters and teachers because we're a newspaper and people like to call us about everything they think they know. And never once in the last, like, 20 years has anybody ever called me and said, hey, you're not going to believe what Roy Vask did today. Are you, are you're not going to believe what Roy Vask is involved in. So I know that just over the last 20 years that this is a guy that's a clean cop and he's very low-key, and he's not somebody like Live Shot Romero who's always looking for a camera to get on TV. And um, he was recently made acting chief and then just two weeks ago made permanent chief, right? Fifteen, yes. So before we get into, like, all the other stuff, just talk about kind of, like, who you are and, and, and what your philosophy is coming to this job as chief. So obviously, as you, you hit the nail on the head, I'm a Lawrence kid, born and raised. My parents immigrated here to Lawrence. Uh, like so many others, I uh, went to St. Patrick's School, as you said, graduated from Lawrence High School, and I've been at the PD for 25 years. You can, go to, you can go to Central? I did not. I did not. I had a brother that went to Central, but uh, I am a Lancer through and through as, wow. uh, as the tattoo on my, on my calf would uh, Nice. <laughs> so, so I'm all about the Lancers for sure. You still go to the football games? I do. I do. Uh, obviously, up until recently, my, my best friend, who was uh, actually at my wedding, uh, Mike Mean was uh, the head coach there. Great so guy. Mike, uh, Mike I love through and through, and there's no one more of a Lancer than him. Yep, sure. abso- absolutely. So you come to this job now after working your way up through the ranks. You've worked in different capacities, um, and, and now you're the head guy. And sh- shortly before that, you kind of worked with Chief Fitzpatrick, and I know you worked with John Romero. How is your chief style, how is your management style of the department different? Not that, you know, not that either of them did a bad job, I actually like Chief Fitzpatrick. I thought he was an, an amazing guy. Um, but how, how is it different? How, how are you kind of putting your own stamp on the way you're managing the Lawrence Police Department? So I think certainly over the years, and we'll go back to, uh, you know, former Colonel Gil Met, who took over the Lawrence Police Department for a little while under Patty Dowling, and then, you know, Robert Hayden, and then John Romero, and then Jimmy Fitzpatrick. Uh, so obviously I think the, the, the best thing that I was able to do was take a little bit of, little bit of peace from everyone uh, in trying to mold myself into how I wanted to run the police department moving forward. And I like to think that uh, I'm a cops cop uh, up until you know, being a captain, running the um, narcotics unit 
I wasn't sitting behind a desk. I was out there on the street with the guys. So I think that goes a long way with the guys. They know that um, I'm a cop's cop. I'm a worker. I've always been a worker. Um, I take things to heart, and I, you know, I want to make sure that not only myself, but I want to make sure that everybody, you know, reflects well in the PD and we get the job done. So I think I'm a hard worker, and I think that's kind of my spin on the PD moving forward is I'm not asking you to do anything that I haven't done myself. I've worked in every capacity inside the PD, and I, I just think that let's put in a hard day's work. Let's do what we need to do, and I think that we'll make Lawrence better. We can only do so much with what we have, but if we put in a, uh, an honest day's work and work hard at it, I think we can, we can have some good results. Now, you've changed some of the things, some of the ways cops are doing their jobs. Um, I know under Chief Fitzpatrick, we had the, um, the impact patrols that were going out and blocking off the, the uh, Essex Street on certain blocks at last call. Um, he'd implemented some things. You've taken that to the next level now. I notice when I'm driving out around live that you have cops on every shift checking the alleyways, checking the parks where, you know, there's been an awful lot of drug dealing and, and, and assaults and murders and other things, rapes going on. Um, talk about that. Talk about some of the new things that the, uh, uh, the enhanced things that the Lawrence police are doing now they, they might not have been doing before and the effect that it's having. Yeah, I wouldn't say there's a lot of, you know, rapes and all those things going on. Let's, let's say that. I think crime is down 32%, so I think we're doing a pretty good job. The guys are really doing a, good, uh, a pretty good job. I, I think that the department is, is energized right now, and it's up to me to continue to, to make sure that that happens. And I think when you have energized guys that want to go out and do the job, I think you get the results, and I think that reflects um, in the numbers, uh, so to speak, moving forward. Again, it's the, the honeymoon phase, if you will, and I'm not – you know, immune to, to saying that. I think that we need to continue rolling through that energy and continuing to function well. And I think that's, you know, uh, I think the guys have been doing a great job. I think they're motivated. That being said, certainly reorganized the department, took a look at everybody and tried to get more bodies on the street. We've done that. I think we went from three to six, three to nine community policing officers, an example. Um, just again, trying to get guys uh, to buy into a certain area and try to work that area, uh, talk to the residents, and, stuff and such, you know, along those lines, assigned one officer, uh, particularly community policing officer, just to be a liaison with the business community. And again, they're spending their money here. They're trying to open up businesses. We need wanting them to have a voice. And now that they do with that officer, they can contact him directly and work on issues that they need to work on. So I think right now the guys are feeling good about what's going on. I think we are definitely moving um, forward with a lot of technology and stuff, the cameras and things like that. We're looking to add you know, a canine unit and things like that back to the city. So I think we're we, looking... Lawrence desperately needs at least two canine units. Desperately needs two canine units. You guys have a lot of people that you pull over for a taillight, but they've got like a pound of fentanyl in the back of the, <laughs> in the... in the trunk of their car, right? And the cop approaching has no idea that that's what's going on until, you know, something bad happens. And having that... I've seen you guys call in the canine unit from the state police and from the sheriff's department, which have been great in lending them to for the sure, city of Lawrence. Um, and as soon as that canine shows up, here's the interesting thing. I, I, I follow all these calls. You know, I go live and I, I, and I follow the calls in Lawrence. And a cop will pull someone over and he'll ask them, do you have anything illegal in the car? And they're very uncooperative. And then the canine unit shows up. And the minute the dog gets out of that car, boy, they sing like a bird. All of a sudden, it's like, no, 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 no wait a minute. Okay, I'll tell you where it is. Because like, for some reason, and I don't know if it's a cultural thing with Latinos or if it's just people in general, the minute that dog shows up, it's like suddenly they're – you wouldn't believe how much they love the police. They're just cooperating like crazy. Well, I think, you know, again, like everything else, canines are a huge tool, and I think that we miss them in Lawrence. And as t to your point, the sheriff's department's been awesome. 
you know, they've been a great uh, partner. Kevin Coppinger and I get along very well and had some great conversations. And He's a good guy. Uh, certainly, for sure. Uh, a Lynn guy, a, a cop himself all his career. So I think there's a connection there. And certainly they've been great. The Massachusetts State Police, I can't say enough about them. I had a great conversation with the colonel not too long ago at a, at a function that we attended together for a couple of days. And again, I, the resources that they put into the city of Lawrence uh, as well is, is tremendous. They, they, they've almost doubled your numbers on certain nights, I've noticed, right? Like for I go, sure. I go through Lawrence and I see like how many, what's the average number of cruisers you got on the street, like eight to 10? Uh, yeah, I guess I had, a, I had a good day. Right. So <laughs> I think last Thursday I was driving around and I saw at least eight to ten state mocked state troopers. Right. And then because I know the guys, I've seen at least four or five undercover state troopers. Right. So that's like uh, 12 states, 12 units of state troopers on top of 10 Lawrence. And I think when we look at the numbers, I want to pull those up if we can, Jonathan. And I think if we look at the numbers, I think, it, I think it's actually we're, we're seeing an actual difference in the crime in Lawrence as the result of the cooperation between Lawrence the state police, and even the feds that have come in, which we'll talk about in the next segment. Um, but we've got some, some crime numbers here that I just got from, uh, I think, your office. I went through Scott McNamara only because, and I apologize, I, I don't like to go to you, go to you for everything because you're the chief, right? You've got oh, way yeah. more important things to do than like send me statistics. So I went to Scott, and he's like, well, why didn't, why didn't you call the chief? And I'm like, well, because I don't want to bother him with this stuff. No worries. Um, but, he, but here we have. Can you, is that yeah, up? up? Oh, because we don't have it on our monitor. Sorry. So I, I have it here. Um, so here's, here's the difference. From January 1st this year to May 29th this year, which was just like, what, last week? May right. 29th. Yep, a couple of days ago. A couple yep. of days ago. Um, last year at this time, we had six murders in Lawrence for the first five months of the year. This year, we've got two. Rapes, we had 12 at this time last year. This year, we have eight. Robberies, 70 this, a year ago at this time. This year... 35, that's a 35% reduction in robberies. That's huge in a city like Lawrence. Right, right. Aggravated assault, it was 146 last year, 177 this year. So that's kind of gone up. The yep, aggravated yep. assaults have gone up 21%. But everything else looks like it's down. Uh, residential burglaries down from 54 to 40. Uh, commercial burglaries are up. Maybe we should talk about that. Yep. Um, 23 to 33 when right. we finish these. Larceny, here's the big one. 199 last year at this time. 81 this year, that's a 59% drop. And then the big one, I think, really, because I think this spins off to a lot of other crimes, auto theft. Right? People steal cars, they hit somebody, they steal cars, they use it for a drug deal or for something else. 187 this year at this time, 103 right now, and that's a 45% decrease. Can you talk about some of those numbers and why? Yeah, I, I think it, it's a tremendous credit to the men and women of the PD working hard every day. And I think that a lot of those numbers are a reflection of seeing a lot of bodies out on the street and people thinking twice about doing, you know, uh, you know, something stupid or, or committing a crime, if you will. Um, again, it's a it's a credit to the help that we're getting from the Massachusetts State Police and the Sheriff's Department, and as you said, um, you know, some of the federal agencies that are here. We've done a good job about building relationships over the years with a lot of these organizations knowing that they can help us in Lawrence. And that's certainly been a strategy of mine over the course of my career. I've had some you know, great relationships built with a lot of guys that are higher up in the different departments now. And uh, Kevin's you know, a fine example. And we've gotten a lot of great help from the, from the local um, chiefs as well. You've had them here before, um, Joe Solomon mm -hmm. and, and Chucky Gray and, and, and North Andover and, and, uh, and Andover as well. I mean, you know, a lot of those guys have, have helped us. They come into the city. They give us bodies. We train them. You know, as an example, you're working with the, with the drug unit. 
and uh, it's worked great for us. Those guys are tough guys in that drug unit. Absolutely. They, they are, you know, very seasoned guys that know what they're doing and uh, make a lot of arrests. Certainly there are a lot more to, that could be done. The more bodies we throw at it, the more arrests we'll make, and, uh, you know, we'll keep at it for sure. If I could make a personal appeal, if, you, if your drug unit could stop going out on Thursdays after 2 o'clock, because that's when I do my show, <laughs> okay. and I like to follow those guys around a little bit sometimes, and... Um, and, you know, what they do is very dangerous work. And The, uh, the aggravated assault statistic, yeah. could that be a result of having more boots physically on the ground? Because that, that would be a, a, essentially a fist fight, right? Yeah. Outside think, of a club? Yeah, I think what you're seeing there with the aggravated assaults is we have a lot of new officers who are, who are basically going out investigating things and, and charging people where maybe charges weren't, draw, weren't done before, where people were sent on their way, the officers are making arrests right. and charging more people. So I think it's a result of a lot of younger officers that are now on the department that are going out and making arrests instead of a summons or, or just sending people on their way, breaking up a fight versus now arresting people for a fight. Right. So those numbers have gone up, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think that... Um, you know, that needs to happen. So certainly our crime numbers are looking good except for commercial burglaries and aggravated assaults. We've had a couple of cases with, as you know, we're talking about commercial burglaries. We've had some homeless issues where, you know, we had one individual who hit seven locations on Essex Street as an example. You know, we ended up making the case, locking them up and charging them with all those things. But that's a number seven number we just took on that one guy. Right, right. We just had one recently in a, in a robbery situation where, where, believe it or not, a lady was uh, robbed a few places or attempted to rob a few places with a syringe. I mean... You know, there's four right there, four robberies that we had to take. Right. You know what I mean? So, right. so I think if the, the big, the, the, the most hardening thing for me is regardless of where our numbers are, our clearance numbers really are what are really were glaring. Sometimes we're triple the national average, like in say. When uh, you say clearance numbers, you mean like convictions after, you, after you've charged them. Right. We clear the case by, by charging somebody with the crime. And I think in, as an example, commercial burglaries, the national average is 13%. I think last year we were 40%. So three times the national average. So I think when those crimes happen, I think the detectives and the department itself has been real good about following through on stuff, not just writing it off and going on to the next call. I think people are really invested in trying to investigate crimes more and more people are being charged. And as a result, our clearance rates are you know, through the roof, and that's good to see. So again, if you take those bodies off the street, they can't create more crime. So that's another strategy of, of reducing your crime numbers is making an arrest and taking that person off the street. Because as we all know, a small number of people do a larger majority of right, the crimes. Right. So you really have to attack those people and get them off the street. So I think the department's done a great job at that. We have um, in the city, it's, it was a little controversial when it was proposed at the city council. It took a couple of years to kind of get through the council because they, they, let's face it, most guys, and you can disagree with this if you want because you have to, but most people in the city council really, really don't understand crime. They don't understand what you guys do and everything's about politics. Um, so it took about two years to get the the automatic plate reader through the city council, uh, uh, signed on by the mayor. And I know that you've got at least one or two now where it's a computer that the officer has in his, in his cruiser, and he turns it on, and it scans every plate that he drives by, whether it's parked or, or it's driving past him or behind him or in front of him. And if they get a hit, um, if you're driving a car that's unregistered, if you're driving a car that's uninsured, if you're driving a car that I think that's uninspected, or if you have warrants, it'll automatically take a picture of that car, take a picture of that plate, It'll pop up on the, on the police officer's laptop in his cruiser, and bang, they've got you. Um, that seemed very controversial. How is it working out in practice? Uh, you know, honestly, in talking to the other chiefs as well, we all seem to be having a, a little bit of a difficulty with the plate reader, you know, technology-wise and, and, and all of that sort of thing. We're working through those glitches, but they, they do work, uh, as you say. We, you know, they do scan a lot of the plates, and we come back with a lot of hits. 
Uh, we do get a lot of, you know, miss hits where, you know, we think it's a hit, but, you know, it's reading a plate from Nashville or something like that. And, you know, so there are some bugs in the system, if you will. But, again, it's just another tool. Right. You know, we'll take all the tools we can get. So it does definitely help. It's not the end all. Um, I'm not sure about all the controversy, you know, prior to getting them and all of that. I think, um, you know, say what you want to say about the, the city council or the mayor. But from my perspective, they've been great so far with fully funding the PD and, and hiring more officers. I think Mayor Rivera has hired a number of officers every single term that he's been here. And the city council has you know, continued to give us the funding that we need. And, again, that's a reflection of the crime numbers. The more bodies that we get on the street, as you know, Tommy, the more arrests we're going to make and we're going to drive numbers down. And then you can't get into all that community policing type stuff and traffic units and things like that. If you don't have enough bodies, you know, if you, all you, the bodies you have on the street are just to answer the calls that you have. You can't do all of that community policing type mm -hmm. stuff. So, my credit, you know, the credit goes to them. I mean, they, they're funding the PD at this point, and um, we're able to do a lot of those things that the community has been clamoring for for years, and I think that's, that's shown in the numbers. There was, the part of the controversy with the plate readers was more, more political, and I was actually kind of on the other side of this argument when it first started um, because the concern was that is the government, i.e. through the police, is the government, uh, as, the, as this piece of technology is scanning all of these plates, is it databasing these plates, mm -hmm. even the ones that they don't get a hit on? So that they know where you are at all times. Like if a cruiser drives by you, it's now logged that you were on like Lawrence and Haverhill Street. Um, is is that going on? Is there is there like a database of um, the plates that they're driving by that aren't hit? Is there like a list? Does it does it keep a database? I would imagine it would have to, right? Because if it's scanning it, it's got to be in the computer. I would imagine. You know, I'm not 100 percent sure, but I would say it's probably being purged at some point because think about it: how many plates are being run? not only in our city, but every city that has them. I mean, you know, you'd have an infinite number there. You'd be you know, blowing up some system somewhere, I think. I'm not a technology guy, but I know, like, when we talk about our camera system that we're trying to put into the city, that's purged every 30 days, you know what I mean? So I know there was a lot of controversy about, you know, who's going to see our pictures and faces and all these other things. And not to my knowledge, is there any some sort of subvert, you know, system somewhere where mm -hmm. someone's storing all this or looking at it. I've never heard of a situation. I've never had another chief tell me that, you know, there's some other agency that's looking at that information. I don't believe that's happening. Um, I hope that's not happening. That's not what it's uh, intended for. You know, certainly in, in, when we talk about our camera system that we're trying to do, it's sort of the same sort of fears. And again, the information that I have is, you know, 30 days, it's wiped out, it's purged, and we move on. Again, a lot of that is for storage purposes because we just can't handle the cost of that. So every 30 days, it's, it's wiped out. So I've never heard of anything like that. I hope that's not happening. And to the best of my knowledge, it's, you know, it's not happening. How would that be different than you being on Facebook Live, Tom Duggan, and every plate that you right. go by is now recorded? So if somebody says they were on Haverhill Street mm -hmm. and they were on Lawrence Street and you caught them, your video could be pulled off of, you, off of YouTube? Right. Or? Yeah, but I'm not the government. <laughs> but the government could get it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, well, I mean, they could, right? You know? I mean, we're willingly giving so much information to the government and, and, and in doing so, giving it to like, you know, a lot of other people too. Yeah. Um, we had a couple of murders this year. Mm -hmm. I was at both of them. I actually was at the first one. I was not at the second one. Um, the first one on Broadway, it was like a Tuesday night. It was very late. Guy was shot in a parking lot. Um, I don't believe that they've solved that case. Um, do we have an update on that? Do we know what's going on with I mean, I don't want you to give anything that, that's mm -hmm. going to hurt an investigation. Right. But the public's kind of wondering, like, what yep. happened with that? So certainly, as you know, uh, in your experience, and obviously I'll say from my experience, murders are not solved very rarely, you know, other than the tragic one we just had. 
um, that quickly. A lot of times it's, you know, you have to put them together. And the officers do, and detectives do a great job, along with the DA's office and the Massachusetts State Police that are assigned to the, the homicides as well. Those things take a long time. You know, to, to put together. So it's not like law and order where, like, within an hour you well, guys I, have it all figured out. Yeah, again, I just did a talk and, and to, a, to a bunch of school children, and it was, it was kind of like along those same things. Well, they're solving it in, you know, 30 minutes. Right. You know, with this technology and all this other stuff. I mean, I think TV does a disservice to the police function in that capacity where, you know, people think it's that easy to solve a crime. Sometimes Yeah, you, like you get the DNA and you go to a lab oh, yeah. and then you know who yeah, did you it, plug right? It, you plug it into this computer in the back <laughs> right. room and, then, you know, within 10 seconds you get a hit and, and the case is over. Unfortunately, it's not that quick, but we have a lot of technology and experience and forensics and all that stuff that we do. But that stuff takes a long time to figure out. I'll say this in, in reference to that, that murder. I think we're moving in the right direction, you know, without trying to give anything away. I think the guys uh, know what they're doing. I think we're making progress, and I think we're going in the right direction. And, um, you know, I, I hope for a, and I'm confident on a, a good outcome in that one. Let me ask you about another case. We, we published a, uh, on Facebook, we published a video of a guy getting shot on Arlington and Lawrence Street. Right. Uh, you had a guy on top of another guy, stole the guy's gun that was on the bottom. When they both break up, the guy that was on the bottom threw a sucker punch at the guy holding his gun, and the guy just shot him right there on camera. Um, I know you guys issued an arrest warrant for that guy. I, I have not heard that you guys have caught him. Can you give us an update on that? Uh, I don't believe at this point he's been arrested. I think he's been identified. I think we put him out. We, you know, we think that he went to another state, which... It was kind of common. These guys kind of take off and think that, you know, they can flee one area to another. But certainly we put out that information, you know, nationwide, if you will. And we certainly ask for the public's help. And, you know, if someone has some information in, in finding him, that, in, that incident was not a random incident. There's a history there between the individuals, uh, which was what led to that sort of um, altercation, which started, you know, motor vehicle-wise and then, you know, into a parking lot, into a fight, and escalated to, you know, you know nowadays for some reason people don't, just you know, have their fists to the talking. All of a sudden, it's weaponry now that comes out. Unfortunately, we heard that it, so. that one of the guys involved in this was also involved in the Dubai nightclub. Um, are you at liberty to talk about that at all? You you know, I'm I'm not sure about that. I don't want to say that that okay. he was. I did hear some rumblings about that, but I you know I don't want to say for sure and, and miscategorize somebody. But uh, I'm not sure about that one. I'll just say again, it wasn't a random thing, and mm -hmm. the parties were all identified. And you know, certainly we have a. You know, clearance on that now. Hopefully, you know, at some point we'll find him. There was another case that I want to ask you about real quick. Um, the the murder that happened this week. Um, a stabbing murder. From everybody that I talked to that was at the scene, very bloody scene. I've actually seen a couple of pictures. It made me sick, and I've seen a lot of stuff. Um, can you just talk about that a little bit? You, what do you guys go through? Like, they're still human beings, right? They might right. be wearing a uniform, and they, they're crime fighters. But, you know, your guys come up on a scene on Doyle Street and they go in and they see a girl with her throat cut. They see her with her arm or her leg sliced open, blood everywhere. Um, can you talk a little bit about that, about, about, the, about the incident and what your guys have to, like, deal with? Well, I think I, I said it before and I'll, I've said it many, many times. Um, I feel like the Lawrence Police Department is some of the best men and women, bar none, in the Commonwealth, if not the country. You know, uh, I think they're very professional. I think they're... They're highly trained. I think they're, you know, certainly, um, I don't know if overworked is the right word, but certainly they're dealing with a high volume of calls, and I think they do it professionally every day. And I think, you know, they sometimes get maligned the wrong way, and I, and I think that, you know, we're hoping to change that with, you know, certainly some of the things that we're trying to do social media-wise to get the message out of what these, what these officers are going through. That being said, 
Lawrence is a busy place. We see a lot of things, and that sort certainly, you know, weighs on you as the years go on in your career, as you know. Um, you know, that could, that could weigh heavily on a person. It's not easy to go from incident to incident, serious incident to serious incident, whether we're talking about, you know, something involving a child or child abuse and or a murder or a domestic murder in this case. So it weighs heavily on them. And, uh, you know, we have to watch for that and, um, and hope that, you know, we can uh, sort of de-escalate the way the officer feels and, and, and get them some help. Is there, is there a program for officers that I know recently there was an officer that shot someone who killed someone. He was having an issue. Is there a program for them to be able to kind of like just go without losing their job or risking losing their job to go talk to somebody about? Absolutely. Some of these horrifying, like I look at that picture last night, and again, I, I've seen a lot of stuff in Lawrence. That's got to be one of the most brutal murder pictures that I've seen in a very long time. Yeah, I'm not going to comment about, you know, the victim in the case, but, you know, certainly when officers see things like that, we try to get them, we try to watch them, we try to counsel them, try to get them counseling. Um, the city has a program as well that, you know, that they can go and speak to someone with their unions are both very active in determining uh, coming to us that an officer needs some assistance and, you know, we'll get them that assistance. Everyone's different and everyone sort of takes scenarios differently or whatever they see differently. I may be, uh, see it one way or feel differently about something than you do or somebody else. So you have to kind of monitor each individual offer, officer as it goes and then, you know, if they need something, get them, get them something. So, um, I, again, you know, they see a lot. They do a lot, and you know the credit is all to them for the for the work they do day in and day out. They're hardworking, and um, you know, and they're very professional about what they do. Before John Romero came on board, we kind of had a system in Lawrence where if I showed up or the Tribune showed up at a fire or an accident, we could go over to the officer on the scene, put a microphone in front of them, and say, hey, "Can you tell us what happened?" And they would do it, right? They would say, "Well, you know, we showed up, and there was a it was an accident, and it, apparently the white car crashed into the black car." And we could get some audio or we could get a quote that we could put in a story. Then Liveshot came along, John Romero, who loved himself so much that he stopped any cop from talking to the press. I, it didn't matter if somebody stubbed their toe, he would have a press conference about it. And almost never by name thank the officer or give credit to the officer who actually did the work on that case. Now that you're chief, can we go back to the way that it used to be where like, if I show up and there's like a murder or there's a robbery... Uh, I still don't feel like I, I don't want to get them in trouble, so I haven't asked. But it would be nice if I could go over to like the cop that's in charge or the cop that's that caught the case and go over and say, "Hey, can you just tell me what happened real quick?" Even if they're just giving us, you know, like an overview synopsis of it, so we can quote them in the story, and the story is more powerful and people will read it. No. <laughs> Man of many words. No, I would say this. Um, every situation. That is not the answer that I wanted, by the way. Uh, is it ever? No. So I, I would say I'm just joking. The, uh, every situation is different. You know, if we're talking about a homicide, you have to be very careful about what you about what you say. So you don't want, in that situation, officer making comments on the scene to someone who just kind of walks up. Because all of that stuff is, you know, defense attorneys and, and this and that. And all that stuff's used against, you know, uh, making the case go south. So you have to be very careful about, you know, situations like that. If we're talking about a car accident, that's a different story. And what we've tried to do, and it's not always on scene that it happens. If somebody calls into the station and I'm not there or whatever, and I've done this uh, where, you know, I'll, I'll tell them, yeah, you can tell them X, Y, and Z or whatever. Um, but we ha again, we have to be very careful about what situation, who's saying what. You can't just let 
people fly off the cuff. Some guys, as an example, if we have an officer who's just out of the academy, he may not realize what he's saying is going to put a case in jeopardy, and we don't want to do that. You know, we're there to preserve the scene, preserve the case, and we don't want to jeopardize the case in any way by saying the wrong thing. Because, quite frankly, it's going to be used against us. It's going to be, we're going to be brought into court, and someone's going to say, didn't you tell Tommy Duggan X, Y, and Z? Well, turns out it wasn't that. It was this. But you said that. So, right. you know, you have to be very careful about that. We certainly, I think, social media-wise, we've tried to get out more information than we ever have, and I think you've seen that over the last four months. And in terms of giving credit to the officers, I've tried to do that. We've tried to do that more in naming them, you know, so-and-so officer and this officer mm-hmm. made a gun arrest. And we put their names in there and tried to give them more credit. So I noticed that you tweet uh, a lot more. The previous chiefs never did. Right. You post a lot more on social media. Um, it's extreme. I think what Joe, Joe Solomon kind of started this off in, in policing, at least in the area, doing that. And now that you've come on board and you're doing it. I think that actually gives people who live in the neighborhoods in Lawrence, the good people who aren't the criminals, it gives them a feeling as though like you guys are you guys have their back and that you guys are out there, um, and that you're not hiding what's going on. Like we have tons of opioid crime in North Andover, and it gets shoved under the rug. Nobody talks about it. Right. Everybody, right. nobody answers questions when I call them. Uh, in Lawrence, it's very very different. Well, I think we listen. We're not we're not going to hide behind anything. We're going to tell you that there's a problem, but we're going to work on the problem. And I think when we solve the problem or make some headway in the problem, we make an arrest or whatever. I think the community should know that, and we try to do the good and the bad, if you will, if you want to call it that. I don't think an arrest is bad, but uh, we try to show the officers interacting with the community, and we try to show the officers when they make an arrest, so the community knows that we're working. Mm-hmm. Because if you call us about a problem on one street, and two streets over we made an arrest, which actually was your problem. You may not have seen that looking out your window, but if we now tell you about it, you know, we're not going to get everything in the paper. We're not going to ever get everything through you, um, but social media is just another avenue to tell people that we're making some progress so that they know we're working on problems, and I think people appreciate that. They want to know that their officers are out there working, so we're trying to get as much information out there as we can. To that point, you know, for the first time ever, we put together all our statistics from last year. Again, good, bad, ugly, whatever. They're all out there. Mm-hmm. They're transparent. So you can go in there and find out everything that the PD did last year in that, in that book. We put it online. We put it on our website. We tweeted it up. It's on Facebook. Click the link. Look at everything from noise calls to arrests to um, you know, it's what the school guys are doing, what our goals are, all that stuff. Again, just to try to be as transparent as you can, uh, can be, we can be. So if people have questions, they can go in there and get them answered. Or if they don't see what they want, they can ask the question. But, you know, the idea is just not to hide behind anything. Just get it all out there. This is what we're doing. This is what we're trying to do. We are going to make mistakes. But we make a mistake. We fix it. We move forward. I mean, that's all you can do. I don't, I don't believe in trying to hide behind anything. It doesn't well, do I, any good. I wish more police chiefs were like that. i got to be honest with you. We only have a few minutes left. If you had a, if you had a magic wand mm. and you could, if you could convince either the legislature or the city council or the mayor to give you something that you guys really could use to make fighting crime in Lawrence better for you, what would it be? Like, is there anything that you guys could, that you guys need? Well, I'd say, if, so if we're talking, if we want to take cops off the table, if, we, if obviously if we had more cops, we can do more things. We talked about that. Let's take that off the table. So I think the one big thing that the police officers deserve and need and the community, quite frankly, deserve and need is a station. That place is horrible. Yeah. You've been there, you know, m- many times. Um, we need a s- new station. So, That'll make the officers feel good about what they're doing for their job, which is going to transform out into the, it's going to go out into the street and it's going to show uh, it's going to show itself out there. They're going to do a better job because they're going to feel better about themselves. And to that end, the community is going to feel proud about their their department, 
professionalized department. And it's also going to give them a place, you know, a, an ideal station would have a place where there's a community room that the community could use for themselves mm -hmm. and also to have meetings with us. So not only do we need to be involved in every meeting, but it's a place where they can come and feel comfortable with, proud of, and have their own meetings. And we can interact with them more coming and going, I think. That one big thing would make everybody feel better about what's what's happening in Lawrence and trying to move Lawrence forward. I think that's that would be key. If that was one thing that I could ask for, it would probably be that. Can, can we get a couple extra minutes or do we need to go? Go ahead. All right. Um, not too long ago, maybe four or five years ago, when you guys would make an arrest, I'd call the station, even when it was a chief that didn't like me, I'd call the station and I'd say, hey, can I get a copy of the booking photo of that guy that you arrested on whatever armed robbery? And they would just email it to me mm -hmm. and they would release it. Now I'm told that the DA has somehow interpreted state law to mean that if you release a booking photo, it is somehow hindering the investigation. And I'm told by other departments, not yours, that they're not allowed to release booking photos anymore. Is that true? Like, are you guys not allowed to, or is it just something you guys just don't do? I think that's one of the things over the last couple of weeks, especially, we've been trying to get some clarification on. But I'll say this. There are obviously certain times where you can definitely not get a booking photo because there may be some um, um, identification issues. So if we have a guy that, that robs somebody and so-and-so is picking him out of a lineup, it's now, you know, they consider it like prejudicing the case. If we now put his picture out on, on out in the news and all of that, that, you know, that person is now going to see him and go, oh, that is the guy that robbed me. Right. So when you come to court and all that, they want to do all these show-ups and the defense attorney wants to use just a photo array and things like that. So it can be used, again, it's a, it's another thing that we would love to be able to plaster people's pictures out sure. there. And in some cases we can when we're talking about, say, prostitution and johns and things like that. We really want to get a message out that if you do this kind of activity, we're going to plaster your picture out. But there is certain cases where the, the DA would prefer us not to do that because we don't want to give the defense any sort of loophole, if you will, to get the judge to throw in an identification. So there is a lot of that back and forth. We are trying to work with them to get some more clarification on stuff. But it's let not, me know it's when not you, as cut and dry. Let me know when you get that clarification sure. because I'm a free speech guy. And when I got told by two other departments that the DA won't allow us to release any booking photos, and I wasn't even asking for like a murder case. It was something mm -hmm. stupid like a B&E. Yep. Um, I, I was befuddled. I was like, wait a minute. You, to me, to tell me that the DA is, no matter what their intention is, the DA is telling you that someone who was arrested by public police officers being held in a public jail and being tried in a public court, we can't have their picture? Like, are you kidding me? Yeah, again, I think it's it's something that we, we're working with them to clarify. I think, you know, they're just trying to work. They're worried about their cases down the road and things like that. So that's what they're really worried about. They're not worried about, from your perspective, you know, trying to get the story out, if you will. They want to pre preserve the case. So we're trying to find a balance there. Mm -hmm. Believe me, if it was up to me, I think, you know, I'd like to plaster everybody's picture out there. I think, you know, there's certainly a little something to, something to be said about a little bit of shame out there. So I agree with uh, that. But we're working to clarify that. I'm real sure. big on shame. I don't know if you've noticed that. <laughs> no, I didn't think that at all. Jonathan, do you have any questions for our chief while he's here? Because we, when we had our four chiefs here, we had a great discussion. He wasn't chief yet, um, so he wasn't here. But if you have any questions. I got nothing. Oh, all Sorry. Right. Okay. Is there anything that you want, <clears throat> uh, as we wrap up the show here, is there anything that you want to impart on uh, the thousands of people who are going to be downloading this? And I still can't believe what our numbers are, but thank you for what they are, everybody. Um, as far as you know, what the Lawrence police are doing and maybe something that's coming up that people need to know about? I just think that we're trying to look at every avenue to try to, you know, to do our jobs better. And that's everything from you know, the reorganization of the department to technology and you know, more officers on the street and community policing and community engagement. You know, we're not going to leave any stone unturned that would help us you know, um, to try to, to, to service Lawrence better and make Lawrence better. And certainly it's not lost on us that we're trying to change 
the perception of Lawrence daily that aggravates me to no end. Obviously, you and I born and raised here and all that. So to no end, it aggravates me in conversations where if Lawrence comes up, it's in a negative light. Mm -hmm. So it aggravates me uh, beyond all. So, you know, we certainly want to try to um, just get the message out that we're, you know, that's not lost on us. And we're certainly trying to change that perception daily and hopefully, you know, work together and work hard to try to, to try to change that, you know, one step at a time, really. Can we get you to come back? Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. Awesome. Can we get a, can we either do a promo for the show? Say this is uh, Chief Roy Vasque. You're listening to Paying Attention. Sure. This is Chief Roy Vasque, Lawrence Police Department. And you're listening to the Pay Attention radio show. Thank you. All right, Jonathan, we're going to bounce out. I appreciate Thank you very much, Chief. Welcome, you're, you're quite the professional, i got to tell you. And if I didn't feel that way, mm-hmm. even though we're friends, you know I would tell you, right? I'd, I'd come looking for you, so that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we want to thank our sponsors, our advertisers, Twin Lights Security and Investigations. Um, I'm doing a lot of work for Patrick these days up in Gloucester, and it's a lot of fun. I'm enjoying it. Uh, Teams in Gallus, Century 21, we appreciate their support always. Um, who else do we have? We have Angelo at AM Auto Body who's fixing my Jeep right now, so I'm driving around in a um, I'm driving around in a rental. It's got Maryland plates, so if you see me driving through Summer Street, don't think I'm a oh, drug you'll dealer. Definitely get pulled over. I appreciate that. Uh, and who else do we have left? We have Veloz Fred? Auto. V- Veloz Auto is gonna was gonna be starting with us in June, but let's give him a free plug. Veloz Auto Group on 17 Mass Ave. If you think you don't have good enough credit to buy a car, go see Franklin at Veloz Auto Group, 17 Mass Ave in North Andover on the Lawrence Line across from the Shell Station. Mr. Jonathan, thank you so much, the voice of God. I appreciate you being here. The Thomas Allies, I appreciate you doubling my studio audience numbers. Rich, our photographer, and of course our guest today, Lawrence Police Chief Roy Vask. We'll talk to you guys next week when we're going to have the uh, producers of our movie that's coming out called Law Town. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts, guests, or callers of this program do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe, the United Podcast Network, its partners or affiliates.